Happy Bitcoin Tuesday, freaks. It's your host, Odell, here for another Citadel Dispatch, the show focused on actionable freedom tech and Bitcoin discussion. As always, Dispatch is an interactive live show with no ads or sponsors. It is purely funded by our wonderful audience. So a huge shout out to all the freaks who continue to support the show with Bitcoin. Easiest way is to go to SillDispatch.com or SillDispatch.com slash donate. You can donate with on-chain Bitcoin or Lightning. Um, you can also support the show via podcasting 2.0 apps such as Fountain or Breeze. Those apps work just like a regular podcasting app. Search Still Dispatch, press the subscribe button. But you can load up your wallet with Bitcoin and you can choose how much Bitcoin per minute you think the show is worth. That Bitcoin gets sent directly to my node. Gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling that you guys care about the content. Um, and also gives me sats that I can spend at a later date. So thank you all for continuing to contribute. Part of Podcasting 2.0 is a feature called Boostergrams. Boostergrams allow you to attach a message to a stack of sats that you send to the show. I read the top four Boostergrams from the last episode, every episode, ranked by sats. We have at SawZal with 100,000 sats saying, as with most things, I couldn't more strongly agree with Matt in saying, this was a fucking awesome conversation, gents. Thanks, Adam, Jack, and Matt, for your time and dedication towards helping the next billion adopt the best money. Open source stage was lit. Hope to visit Bitcoin Park someday. And until then, we'll stay humble and stack sats. Great advice. We have at Eric99 with 50,000 sats saying, stay humble, stack sats. Thank you, Eric. Great advice. We have at 8MythRandur with 21,000 sats saying, hashtag, we're still early. Every good meme is based in reality. We are early. And we have at ScareCity with 21,000 sats pre-boosting because I will be listening to this on a plane and not streaming sats value for value. Thank you for the pre-boost. Thank you to all the freaks who continue to support the show. As always, Dispatch is streamed live on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and Bitcoin TV. Uh, joining us live is also a great way to support the show. We have a unique live interactive chat uh, where we get to participate directly with the guests as we're on air. So that's a great way to join us. And uh, thank you for the pre-boost. Thank you to all the freaks who continue to support the show. I just heard that echo, uh, Justin. But before we, you're good. Um, I just lost my train of thought. We're streamed on all the platforms. Go to SillDispatch.com. Share with your friends and family. I know it's a recession. I know it's a bear market. If you can't spare sats. Just subscribing and sharing it is a, a huge boost to the show, and I do appreciate it. So with all that said, we have a very unique guest on today. Um, we're going to be jumping uh, into a slightly different topic than we're probably used to here. It's a topic that I want to talk about a lot more, which is guns and which is firearm culture in America in general. Um, we have uh, Phoenix Ammunition here. I guess his, his actual name is Justin. I know him by his company's name and his Twitter handle, which is Phoenix Ammunition. Uh, they are a small business ammo manufacturer out of Michigan uh, that accepts Bitcoin using BTC Pay Server. Um, and it's an honor and a privilege to have Justin join us. How's it going, Justin? Oh, uh, hey, thanks for having me. The pleasure's mine. And yeah, that's a that's a pretty fair introduction. We're uh, uh, Phoenix Ammunition. We're a small business uh, about 25 minutes northwest of Detroit. Uh, I'm the CEO. I work with my brother uh, who's the vice president. We have five other employees. 
uh, and we make ammunition for the militia industrial complex. So, uh, that we're not something I made up, but a phrase I've really come to enjoy. Uh, you know, we we're sort of become famous because we have our focus completely on the civilian market. We're really not interested in doing business with uh, military or police. And, um, you know, some people really like that. Some people don't. Uh, but in any case, it gets people thinking. So we're uh, happy to happy to play our little role in this uh, very large industry. Well, I have to say, um, you make a great fucking product. Uh, <laughs> well, and uh, I appreciate that you can ship it to me directly, that you do ship it to me directly for Bitcoin. Um, but I would, I would appreciate it even if I had to pay dollars for it. Um, <laughs> your product specifically has, a, you know, it's... Uh, it's a special relationship you have with consumers because the thing is blowing up in my face. Like I'm really, right. I'm really counting on it to work. Um, it's not some like chintzy fiat product. Um, but I mean, to get started here, Justin, I'm kind of curious. I, do you have any competition? Like, are there other direct to consumer ammo manufacturers in America that like, that I can just like go to their website and just have it shipped to my house? Sure. Yeah, there, there are. Um, I would say of companies our size, many don't really go the route of uh, web sales as their primary method of distribution. So uh, like us, for example, when we were first getting started, we just didn't have the brand recognition, the web traffic to make that sustainable. So uh, we sold mostly at gun shows. Uh, we sold to the local ranges, you know, pretty much anybody who we could sell to. That's who we were going to sell to. And my goal was always to generate enough interest, build an email list, get web traffic, you know, build a brand that eventually we could stop doing those things because uh, those were dependent on the amount of hours that I could spend out selling. Um, and so it's just not really scalable in the long term. And so I, I knew that right away. And I also knew that most of the under most of our competitors in the industry uh, were happy to be in that business model and weren't really interested in changing um, and myself being a little bit younger coming into this industry than many others i would say that kind of gave me an advantage because i could see i felt like i could see something that they were missing um and so to me i thought you know this would i rather be at a gun show all day and deal with the customer in that sort of a format or would i rather do it indirectly via email which i could do from anywhere right uh, so and it, i'm not limited to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then try to knock on doors of these ranges. And there's a limited number of those anyway. So even if I can generate a lot of volume, uh, it's just not really what I wanted to do in the long run. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Um, I, but uh, I guess to answer your question, I kind of went off there a bit. There are some, uh, there are definitely some brands uh, that have recognition as being more of an online seller. I would say our brand is a bit unique in that we are more or less have said we're not interested at all in doing business with really anybody outside of the civilian market. Um, and here are our reasons why. Uh, and so I don't think there's anybody that can say they've taken that sort of unique niche within the niche, if, if you will. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're very outspoken to say the least. I, uh, yeah, I guess my question was more, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a very interesting model. It's a model that I uh, I would like to see more of just across American society, maybe not even just in the firearm industry, 
Um, but it also seems very unique in the within the industry. And I, I even like mm-hmm. the um, you don't sell like little boxes of ammo. Right. You sell like the big bags, bags, which is right. like yeah. ridiculous. Oh. Like, why would I ever want to yeah. buy rounds in like 50 round boxes and then I have to open right. all the boxes just to store them right. or move them around? It makes no fucking sense. Yeah, It, it generates a ton of waste. Uh you know, that, and it just takes time to take everything out of these boxes, which end up going in the trash anyway. And, you know, frankly, I just looked at it and I said, especially on the Internet where you're going to have to pay shipping to some degree or, you know, shipping's built into the cost. Put it that way. You might not right. be billed for it, but it's there someplace. It's being accounted for, to be sure. So um, really, why would, who, who buys two boxes of ammo uh, <laughs> and then pays $15 to have it shipped? I mean, unless it's some really specialty route that you just can't get anywhere, it's just very uncommon. And right in to the beginning of the business, you know, so we got a quick, quick story of kind of how that also came to be. We got started uh, right before the 2016 election. And so, you know, everybody knew Hillary was going to win. And so the world, like everybody was freaking out. The gun shows were packed. Um, People were kind of going crazy a little bit, not quite to the degree that they did in during COVID, but pretty crazy. So things are going okay, And then, you know, Trump wins and everyone's like, holy shit, like, I can't believe it actually happened. And then everybody kind of panicked in the gun industry because all of a sudden it's like, well, this guy's not going to pass any kind of gun control. He seems to be this like MAGA super like patriot on steroids guy. So uh, we don't have anything to worry about. And so all of a sudden all that business dries up. And also, you know, gun shows tend to taper off in the summer anyway, because who the hell wants to be inside at a fucking gun show when you could be outside shooting or doing any literally anything else. So um, that started to dry up. And I thought, oh, man, we better figure something out. Um, I don't know what to do because the we're not we don't have near enough web traffic to let that have any you know percentage of our real sales. Uh, the gun sh- the gun stores now are going to become very price conscious because. Uh, there's going to be this glut of ammo and they're going to try to work us down. They already do that anyway. So that's not sustainable in the long run. I don't really want to do that. Um, So where do we go? A friend of mine invited me to a three gun competition. Uh, It was like March, I think. So it was absolutely freezing cold. Uh, But I literally packed my trunk full of ammo, went up there and sold it to the, and tried to sell it to these competitive shooters. And that's where I started to understand what they wanted. They wanted something that was low recoil uh, with a heavy grain bullet so that you can still knock over steel plates if you don't hit them toward the center, things like that. And I said, okay, well, here's a niche. And they're willing to pay a little more for it because it's not something that you can go buy the day before at Walmart if there's ammo available. It's just not going to be there. So, all right, now we can find a niche where we don't have to rely on cents per round. Um, these guys are interested in performance and they're willing to pay a little more for a more quality product. And so if we can find a way to do that, then I think we've got something here. And oh, by the way, the round count for this match was like 200 rounds. And these, some of these guys are shooting another match the next day. And then they were gonna shoot 250 rounds during the week to practice or whatever. And I thought, okay, this is, this is what I want. You know, it's great to sell ammo at a gun show to some guy who's uh, storing it in his basement for the end of the world. Right. But, and th- these guys are doing that too, but they're also consuming <laughs> product on a constant basis, right? There's turnover. And so I thought, all right, this is where, let me investigate this niche more and figure it out. And so then I started getting into competitive uh, shooting myself as a, as another hobby. 
And part of that was to do some soft marketing. You know, you're on a squad with 10, 12 guys and, oh, you're the guy who owns Phoenix Ammunition. Yeah, that's me. Okay. Like, and then they see me shooting. And so it was an encouragement for me to get better at it. For one thing, it, it, it has vastly, dramatically improved my pistol craft, you know, my rifle work, all those things. So I got all those side benefits. I, I could be at the range uh, developing skills and something that I personally wanted to be better at anyway. But in the meantime, I'm interacting with this customer base. Right. They, they can see the product works because I'm getting better at it. They can see that I'm not having any failures. They can see it with put their hands on it. And that's how I'm going to start to build this from the grassroots. And uh, so in any case, then it, that's kind of what led to the packaging. All right. Well, everybody here is got all these 50 round boxes. There's all this trash. You know, they're hauling away bags and bags of empty cardboard boxes and plastic trays. Um, and then, you know, over a couple of years, as we started to develop more of our sales through the website, you start to get analytical data and you look and you say, okay, my average order is 500 rounds of something. That's a, that's about the average and, and the average cart is this many dollars that equates to about 500 rounds. So why don't we do everything in increments of 250? And that way people can just get how much they want. We can structure our pricing to work better that way. The more you buy, the more you save. All yeah, I love things. that. Like yeah, I don't have to work pricing. with. Sure, you don't have to generate a bunch of coupon codes and then deal with, hey, you know, this coupon code expired. Will you still honor it? Hey, uh, I put my order in last week and now you're doing this July 4th sale. That's bullshit. You know, I want the 10%. Okay, like, I guess I'll give it to you anyway, you know, because I, I want the revenue. So it just eliminated all that, a lot less work on my part, and it's easier from a packaging perspective. You know, automating, having automated equipment to put all of those uh, cartridges into a tray uh, is expensive, or it has to be done by hand. And so do I pay somebody to manually put all these rounds into these boxes face up and slide them in the box and do all this shit? Or do we eventually get to the point where I can try to automate? And, and that's where we are now. So we have uh, an automated bagging machine that uh, after the ammunition comes out of our automated quality control equipment, uh, it gets fed down a conveyor. It counts out 250 rounds at a time. Um, it's extremely accurate. It's much more accurate than the uh, weighing systems that we were using before. So it's, you know, plus or minus one round and almost never that. Uh, opens up the bag, seals it. We can print the information right on the bag. So, you know, the packaging doesn't have to, the packaging is going to end up in the trash, put the money in the product. Don't put the money in the packaging. Right. And people, I think can see that that's a better use of their dollars. That that's, that's what I was thinking as, as a, and all of this are things that I could see as a consumer, right. Having been a yeah, it consumer. It seems really basic. Exactly. It seemed, seemed basic to me. And so, I, again, I was thinking to myself, man, this is like such a pain in the ass having to take all this ammo out of these boxes. I go home and I take them all out. I dump it into a, like a 50 cal ammo can. Exactly. And uh, now I got not now, you know, the, the trash guy comes and he's like, fuck, man, this guy's got this. He's got like an entire 50 gallon <laughs> trash bag full of empty ammo boxes. OK, now that's like not so good for operational security. Right. Now, yeah, you buy like a case, you buy a <laughs> case of a thousand rounds and it's like. You have 20 boxes and 20 little plastic things. And then it's not even, yep. it's, it's the company is loading them all into, they're spending Correct. time to do it right. just for you to spend time to remove it. It's just a pain in the right. ass. <laughs> that's so stupid, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's yeah. So that makes, it... that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that is cool that I think that you just understood the consumer, right? Like that yeah. is, 
and then the idea of, of the scaling the prices with you know adding you buy more you save more right? right and like that's just a very obvious incentive match between uh the user and 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 you guys yeah, um yeah no i think you hit on you you hit that right on the on the head and just i just it's such a simple thing. I, there's a there's a hardware wallet manufacturer in Bitcoin, um, that's called Cold Card. I don't know if you're aware. Yeah, of them, I've, I've but, heard of them. Yep, I've heard of Cold. But like they do the like not the same thing because it's a little bit of different situation. But like all the competitors have like these fancy boxes and stuff, and like they ship it right. in a sealed bag, right? They're like you're just gonna <laughs> open right. you're just gonna open right. it anyway. Let's just save everyone time and money on both sides of the equation, right? And just ship it yep. in a ship it in a bag. Um, and then I think the other thing to unpack there uh, with your answer is something that I think you focused in on pretty quickly. Um, I'm going to try not to fanboy too much here. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, the, oh, man, honestly. Um, is that there's a whole branch of the industry that is straight uh, sats per round or cents per round right yeah. like uh how low how cheap can i get yeah. my round for and like that's all they care right. about there's you know ammo seek like there's websites that are yeah. just uh strictly focused on people trying to get the lowest price for Correct. the round but you honed in on this idea that there's a whole quiet group i think that is that is completely price insensitive like if you if you rip us off like i'm going to stop buying ammo from you certainly but like I'm not, I I'm not that sensitive on exactly the price. You know, it doesn't have to be the cheapest round possible. Like I want something dependable. Like I'm gonna, I'm, I'm. It, like I said, it's blowing up in my face by design. Mm -hmm. Um, like I need it to be dependable, whether that's competition, whether that's defense. You know, wh whatever the situation is. Um, right. and you realize that there's a price insensitivity there. You don't have to just drive the margins all the way down to Correct. zero and everybody wins. Yeah. Um. So. I thought I could do two things in this industry, and that's what—that's kind of why I do just about everything I do. The first is, as you said, most most of the industry has trained the consumer to look at only cents per round, and Ammo Seek is like the worst at that. But you know, they weren't—they're the worst, but they weren't the first. So uh, I looked at getting listed on Ammo Seek one time, and you know, basically as an ammo company, you have to pay a monthly fee to even be appearing on their listings, and so that. That actually, um, again, as a consumer, having come into the industry, I always thought, well, this guy's just like a, a an aggregator, right? He's just running a search. It's just pulling everything off the internet. Well, no, um, that's not true. You're only getting the things that people are paying to be exposed to. So you as a consumer may think that this search engine is not biased, but it is. You're not seeing um, even somebody who has a lower price but doesn't pay their, you know, fucking ransom uh your the protection money that ammo seek you know hey bro you got a nice ammo company i didn't know that shame if no no if you had no web traffic and it's like well man fuck you guys i'm not playing that game and i looked at it and i just said look i, I if i'm not if you're not on the first page you're never going to get seen everybody knows that again analytics uh this is how the internet works you got to be in the top three or five on and if you're not on the first page you basically don't exist that's just how the industry has trained consumers so we were never going to be able to compete with those kinds of margins. We didn't have the economies of scale, didn't have the capital. Um, you know, this business was entirely self-funded by me. So I didn't have access to five to ten million dollars to develop a bunch of high speed, high speed equipment right away and leverage being able to buy 50 million primers at a time. You know, I, I had to 
buy from middlemen. So my margins were already thinner than everyone else's anyway. So I can't compete on that. Okay, so what can I do? I can make a better product. Well, who's going to care about a better product, right? Um, most of the consumer base sees it as consumable. I mean, if you go to an indoor range, and I've you know, seen this many times, you have a mostly uneducated, untrained consumer who's renting a handgun for an hour. They're going to shoot 100 rounds into a piece of paper at five yards. They have literally no idea what they're doing. They're not training anything. They're not developing any skill. Um, they might as well uh, honestly have dry fired in their living room and they would have gotten way more out of it. So if they have a, quote, jam, right, they don't really know what it was or why it happened or they don't really care about it. What do they do? They get the round out of there somehow. They put the gun down on the table. They do yep. some fucking shit that you're looking over at the bay from the bay next to you thinking, Jesus Christ, this guy about to point this gun at my head? Like, what in the fuck is he doing? And they dropped around on the floor and they don't care, right? And when they bought the ammo, the guy at the range counter sold them the cheapest stuff that they had. So that's not my market. Um, so where is my market? It's these people who are doing imp what I saw as important things, people who are taking real training classes, right? With something like somebody like Haley Strategic, uh, Warrior Poet Society, Cogworks, like these these brand name like companies where they they're going to go through a thousand rounds over two days, uh, and these people are serious about their craft. Like they, I have a lot of experience as an athlete. I wrestled in college. I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, so I've spent a lot of time around like very high level athletes, and so that's the way that I looked at the gun community, the guys who are Grandmaster USPSA shooters. Um, I mean, you know, you can say what you want about it, but like watch Grand Thumb shoot, okay? That guy is like a world-class shooter. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you say what you will, like that's just a simple fact. And you don't get that way without a lot of practice um, and understanding of basics and fundamentals and just doing drilling reps, drilling reps, drilling reps, dr working on your footwork, your presentations, sight picture, all these things. And to me, like that's what I wanted to do. I, even as a civilian, um, I, well, I, as a civilian, I found that to be extremely important. And I didn't really understand that I had access to those kinds of training and instructionals. Uh, so now that you see that that stuff's available and then you start to meet people who are very, take this very seriously, um, you understand that, hey, this makes sense for everybody. If, uh, a, if a USPSA shooter has a failure with my product on a Sunday, I'm going to, I'm going to hear about it Monday morning in a, in a nasty email. And similarly, uh, if we're going to make defensive ammunition, and even if we don't, like, you, you know, there are people who put FMJ ammo in their carry guns. And, and so your ammo might be used in a self-defense situation, whether you intend it for it to be used or not. My worst fear would be, you know, somebody is found dead with their concealed carry gun in their hand. And in the chamber is one of my rounds with a dented primer. Um, I... I don't know what I would do. I, I would probably quit. I would probably close the company, to be honest with you, because I, I don't know that I could live with that. I, that would that would weigh extremely heavily on my conscience. And so um, for both of those reasons, it has to work absolutely every time. And having been around a lot of manufacturing companies in my previous career, um, having been exposed to things like Six Sigma and um, understanding, you know, statistical drift in your quality and ISO 9000 and NADCAP and all these like high level certifications that you need to make aircraft products. 
And then I come into the firearms industry, which you would think would be comparable and looking around and saying, Jesus, like these are the tolerances. These are insane. You know, these aren't even to like a hundredth of a, of a decimal point. Like this is what you guys think is acceptable. Well, this is easy. Like these guys just like don't aren't very good at what they're doing because they see it as a consumable product. Um, they're trying to get the cost down. They're not interested in upgrading their, their tooling or their technology or uh, automation, things like that. And so I don't have the money to do it now, but I'm going to start working on a way to get to that point. And so I'm 100% sure I can make a better product. Um, that's no problem. I'll, I'll figure that part out. And the second thing that I think I can do is I think I can build brand loyalty. Because what I can see is that the consumer, I'm looking around at these um, competitions and, you know, the top level guys shoot what they like, but most everybody else is just shooting whatever they could get. And I thought, all right, well, how do I build brand loyalty, right? Um, I'm looking around and disco discovering that you know, it's like these gun companies don't really exist in the sense of they don't really put much thought. Their marketing is very canned and generic. Um, they don't have any personality. And part of that is because they can't, right? They they can't be boisterous and loud and cause controversy because they're trying to get these big dollar military contracts. And as a result, they can't they can't get too far out of the neutral edge. Right. I mean, like, look at fucking Raytheon. They got, uh, you know, like uh, that's the whole like meme. Right. Is the, yep. the Raytheon drone flying in with the uh, LGBTQ flag on it? It's like, <laughs> you know, are you fucking serious? Like these guys are get 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 out of here. Like this is this is hilarious. Just be who you are, you know. Just admit. Like I think everybody would be happier if you guys were just like, yeah, we uh, we fucking bomb, you know, kids overseas. Like, but we're really good at it, you know. I mean, we hit the target every time. So, own it, you know. Own it, right? Just be good at it. Like, be be who you are. And so I thought, all right, maybe I can just be authentic. Like I, I'm I'm not I'm not former military. I'm not former law enforcement. So I don't have those chops. I don't have those connections. So I'm behind the curve there, but. I do think that I understand this it, this gigantic market of um, civilians who are interested in guns from the perspective of like self-sovereignty and like home defense and protection. I have never been hunting in my life. My parents didn't own guns until after I was out of the house. I wasn't even allowed to play with toy guns because my parents wanted me to be like raised right. You know, I, I shot 22s and Boy Scouts and stuff like that. But my introduction to guns was all right i'm 22 years old i'm living on my own now um i'm an ex-college wrestler so I'm, I'm like i'm pretty sure that i can handle myself in most situations but i'm also smart enough to know that sometimes uh the situation you know is not always up to you and that you know people do in fact carry things like guns and knives and baseball bats and weapons and then all bets are off and so i i need to expand my understanding of uh, martial arts. And that's really what using a firearm is. It's, it's a martial art. And anybody who thinks it's not doesn't understand anything about martial arts. All uh, right. I mean, the American gun craft is basically as beautiful and as much the same as Japanese sword craft. Right. But people don't think of it that way. So um, I got my CPL and carried a gun for many years with very little actual real training. And I look back and I think, um, I definitely uh, overestimated what I thought my capabilities were going to be. Uh, and so I, I'm glad that I'm where I'm at now. But again, kind of going back to my philosophy as a company, um, 
let's try to work with these training companies. Um, so like this is another untapped market, you know, people who are consuming large amounts of ammo are working with these training companies. Let's reach out to these training companies. Let's let's try to solve a problem for them. And the problem is they need ammunition for like they have high round count classes, but you can only fly on a plane with so much ammunition. So if I can make it easier for their students to have ammo delivered on site and it can be guaranteed ahead of time, then it can increase the number of students who are taking their classes, thereby increasing the amount of exposure I have, thereby increasing my, you know, sort of passive sales with these training companies who are really doing the selling for me. And in the meantime, I get to go train with these guys, I get to increase my skills. And so it's like, uh, you know, one hand washes the other. And um, so that's, that's kind of the niche that we've fallen into. And, um, you know, as the years have gone on, there's been plenty of opportunities to kind of highlight why we think that's a good idea. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't even, I think it's empirically been a good idea for you guys. Cause I mean, my biggest complaint as a consumer is that you can't keep stuff in stock. So, I mean, you're not even, yeah, you're selling them quicker than you can produce them. Yeah. Part of that is the supply chain as well. I mean, um, you know, supply chain and capital, and, you know, we're a small business again. So, you know, we're kind of at the point where if I really wanted to bring my cost down, I would, I would have to be doing more like direct. There's a couple of things that we don't get direct from a supplier um, that we could try to bring that margin up, but it's very complicated and it takes a lot of upfront capital. And it's unfortunately just not something that we have the ability to do. So um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think of the relationship almost like uh, my relationship with like a local farm, like a CSA or whatever. Sure. It's like, exactly. I, yeah. I mean, we, I we just printed that. Buy whatever's ma made table. this week, yeah. you know? We are the go, tomatoes are in stock. Yeah. Tomatoes right. are in stock. I'll Precisely. buy tomatoes. Maybe next week cucumbers will be available. I'll get my cucumbers. That's right. That. Seasonal. Uh, yeah. We do that. <laughs> like, there are some calibers up here in Michigan. Uh, there's a caliber called 450 Bushmaster, very popular. We have some limitations uh, that below a certain line, you have to use a straight wall cartridge for hunting. So um, it's basically like a straight wall cartridge that can be chambered in an AR. Uh, and so that's a that's a seasonal thing that we make. We don't really have much penetration in the hunting community, but it's very like area specific. So we can turn that out for maybe two months, uh, get some good margin because it's not a common caliber. People know they're going to have to pay more for it. And then we can get back to our bread and butter, um, which is the competition ammo frangible. Um, you know, we have a lot of variety. We have a narrow, narrow lineup of calibers, but we have a lot of variety within those calibers generally, which I yep. think people like. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, awesome. Um, I mean, so... I mean, you said you said you think of you think of firearms as like an extension of martial arts. Like the way I kind of look out of it, yeah. it, it, it's a tool, right? It's a tool right. that empowers individuals, right? right. And um, it requires obviously a lot of education and training. And but to me, that's where like kind of the overlap with Bitcoin comes into play because I think of it kind of as one element of this like freedom tech arsenal, like this this yes. toolbox that people have available to them, but they need to actually realize the need, and then they actually have to go and train and educate themselves and use the fucking tool. Uh, it's not yeah. going to just do it for you. Um, so right. I'm kind of curious, like, like where did Bitcoin come into this picture? Sure. Uh, like, yeah. How, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I can, I can start all the way back. Uh, I mean, I, me I remember hearing about Bitcoin shortly after it was invented or released, you know, whatever you call Many it. Many such uh, cases. Unleashed upon the world, you know, whatever. 
Um, but I, I'm not was I'm not like a huge tech guy in particular, but sort of more of like a freedom type. So I remember hearing about it, thinking, oh, that's pretty wild. And then um, I remember hearing again in the news sometime later, some guy was like trying to acquire enough Bitcoin to buy a house with, or he was trying to sell his house, but he, he wanted to only accept Bitcoin. And so then that like, okay, well, this thing's been going on for a little while now. How can we can't get enough of it? You know, like, a, like, we'll, we'll maybe, why is that? And so I, I remember reading the white paper back then and it kind of going over my head maybe a bit. And then a couple more years pass and you hear about Bitcoin mining and what's this? And okay, I got a crawl space under my house. Maybe I could take that old lap, that old computer I had from college and overclock it and mine some Bitcoin, you know? So again, I passed. So, you know, this is like the third time now that I should have been a billionaire, but you know, <laughs> you know, as always, like everybody, you know, everybody's got that kind of progression. And then, so that finally, um, how did it come in for business? So yeah. fast forward to 2018, I, was redoing our entire website. Uh, we were starting, I was starting to make, this is kind of after we discovered the competition crowd and I realized, okay, we really need to put more effort into having our website be found. So how do we do that? My brother had programmed the initial website very quickly, you know, just kind of threw something up on like Squarespace or whatever. So I said, okay, I'm going to like immerse. I would say what I am, I'm a, I, I think of myself as the true, like Jack of all trades, master of none sort. Yeah. So, I said, all right, I can't afford for somebody to build a great website. So I'm just going to have to like immerse myself in this topic for a month and learn everything there is to know and figure it out. So I rebuilt a whole new website, took all new pictures, you know, learned about SEO and what words were important, like started looking at analytics. Okay. You know, who, where, where do I think we can be in like the top three or five of a particular keyword? Like how, how do I reach these competition shooters? And so I spent a lot of time getting into it. And so as part of building the website, of course, you got to connect your payment gateways and all these things. And so even uh, I would say a couple of years before that, I remember trying to find a payment gateway to be able to accept credit cards on the website and finding that um, in the terms of service of almost every, you know, PayPal, Square, Stripe, all these companies, uh, they all had restrictions for uh, against, you know, being able to do transactions with firearms. So I was like, wow, there's only maybe two or three credit card um, processors. Um, and that's like a whole web of, that you have to go down. Like, so, like, so what, what is it exactly that you guys do? So like you're the gateway or you're the processor and like all these things. So I'm kind of figuring out how that works. And it's like, man, this is just um, that's kind of crazy. There's only a couple of people who will even allow me to accept credit cards. And then I'm building the new website. And that was the first time I saw that it it at that point allowed you to be able to accept Bitcoin through Coinbase commerce. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. You know, maybe, maybe I'll start to set that up and I'll offer it as just like a gimmick in a way. I, I'm curious to see if anybody's actually using this fucking thing to buy things. Like I, at this point, I don't own any, I don't, you know, I didn't have a, a wallet. So I set all that stuff up, um, let it run. And, you know, for the first, uh, so that would be what, like, February, March, 2018, I think that would be. Uh, I think we probably went five, six months before we did one transaction in Bitcoin. You know, it was like very, very few and far between. Uh, but over time, we started to get like one more here, one more there. And you're using Coinbase uh, Commerce at this point. 
Yeah, at this point we were using because again, yeah. um, my my technological understanding of Bitcoin and the technology uh, and that's fine. Who's yeah. doing what KYC, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I was I just thought to myself like I'm literally the only person in the firearms world who will even accept Bitcoin. Yeah. So that that has novelty in and of itself. And when I find the time to really like get into the nitty gritty of this stuff then I really should do that. But for now, I've got 10 million other things to do. This is a plug and play solution. It'll just work. Okay, so we're six months in, you're using yeah. Coinbase Commerce, you've had maybe one transaction. Yeah, so then fast forward to uh, the start of the pandemic, right? So, you know, Bitcoin kind of had that situation where it went up to 20,000 and everybody bought some and then it sank back down to like, this is like pre-pandemic. Well, March uh, 2020, we hit 3,500, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then the when, the, when the stock market collapsed. Yeah, yes. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, so then, so the pandemic happens and everything collapses At this point. I don't even know what the price of Bitcoin is. We were, we were the busiest we had ever been because everybody thought that the zombie apocalypse was right, everyone up. needed rounds at that point. Everybody needed yeah. rounds right now. So we're shipping stuff as fast as we can. Um, and all of a sudden I noticed like we're getting all these Bitcoin people are just buying with Bitcoin all of a sudden we're getting like two, three a week. This is kind of weird. And that went on from, you know, April until kind of the end of the summer fall. Um, why? Because people were selling their Bitcoin when it was low, um, right. and buying ammo with it for some reason. Well, I joke so, that you sell stable coins, uh, the yeah. real stable coins. Cause <laughs> people think real. like, Oh, like I need to get like USDC <laughs> or whatever as a stable coin. It's like, <laughs> no, like, let me get some five, five, six and. I thought about my that, Bitcoin actually, I, I thought about um, coming up with a coin that's backed by ammunition, like we just buy warehouse space, and you know, for every every coin there's <laughs> no, like a thousand no, rounds. No, stick to all. Bitcoin only. Stick to Bitcoin. <laughs> you you have you're on the right track. Yeah. Don't get distracted. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I won't get pulled to the dark side. Yeah. So people um, are buying. People are buying a, a ton of. Yeah. Ammunition. So people all of a sudden are, are buying a, a ton of uh, Bitcoin. Not a ton with uh, with Bitcoin, but like definitely more. And it was spiking. Yeah, it was spiking. We also took Ethereum uh, at that point. Uh, we took right, Litecoin. Coinbase Commerce. Yeah. Yep, exactly. All, all the kind of like big ones that Coinbase Commerce would accept. And so um, it gets toward the end of that year in 2020. And of course, these coins are starting to come back up at this point. And that was the time at which it was getting ready to do like end of year accounting. And so I thought, you know, I should log in. I haven't logged into Coinbase Commerce in like six months. I should log in and kind of see what our balance was. And in my head, you know, I, I have a master's in finance and so I, I keep the books pretty good. And so I, I thought in my head, there's probably like 20 grand in this account, you know? So I log in and it's at like 75. It's like, Oh shit. How, how did, there's no way I lost, how did I lose track of the, this much money? And that's when I looked and I said, Oh, okay, well that's cause they all increased by like a hundred percent in the last six months. Like what the fuck is going on? And so that was the point where I thought I need to really get serious about this. I, I need to get a much better understanding of this, of what's happening here uh, than I do. It's, it's not just a speculative asset. Like I really need to get into the tech of it. So that kind of began my journey where, okay, well, what's a node? Well, this is what, okay. That, that makes sense. Like, why the hell do they call it mining? Like that's just a stupid word. Like if I think <laughs> about it this way, I totally understand it, but I can totally understand why people don't know what it means. And so then it's like, okay, well, you know, now you're getting into, uh, you know, at some point I probably stumbled into like KYC versus non KYC. And then you're like, okay, now I'm really understanding what this is. This is, this is not what I thought it was, or it's so much more than that. This is, I, I really need to get um, to get into the weeds more. And so that was maybe, um, 
you know, that, that kind of went on for about a year where I sort of dabbled in the tech and, and okay, uh, uh, let me look into mining. All right. How does that work? Um, you know, that's something maybe I could do as a side business. All right. So you get that and then, okay, well, why would you run your own node? Okay. Well, this is why you would run your own node. Well, how do I do that? I don't really want to build a Raspberry Pi computer. Let me see what off the shelf solutions I can find. And so that kind of went on for like a year or so. And then what really made it click and what really kind of settled me into where I am now was going to the Guns and Bitcoin conference in Miami that ran the same week as the actual Bitcoin conference. And that would have been 2022. That would have been basically last year. Last year. Yeah. And so that's when, you know, I meet these guys from Samurai Wallet. You talk to the guys at Ronin Dojo and and I look around and it's like, okay, these guys basically have a digital ar-15 like this is actually better than an ar-15 because you can kill me and take the ar-15 from my dead hands but you can kill me and my 12 words will die with me and go fuck yourself and there's nothing that you can do about it and so long as so long as i believe in myself in the sense that you can torture me to death but i'm never going to say those 12 words in the order you want me to say them then that's amazing like that to me is really why I got into business for myself. I, I wanted to be able to tell more people no. But I, I mean, I say this, like, I, I'm the kind of guy who actually loves to say yes, but I always like the option to say no. That's what got me into martial arts. That's what got me into wrestling as a, you know, kind of overweight, uh, not so popular kid in middle school. I didn't want to get bullied by kids. And, you know, I wanted to be able to um, you know, kind of also hang out with the nerdy kids and not sort of have that stigma over me because um, I kind of didn't really fit into either of those groups perfectly. And so being able to be able to beat the shit out of anybody in school who wanted to mess with me was my ability to be able to say no. And so um, that's just kind of always I can look back at my life and see how that's manifested in many different ways leading up to, well, ultimately, like, that's the reason you own a gun, because the government can do anything they want to you until you say no. And you can only say no if you have the means to back it up. And that's why it's such a contentious topic. The government does not like to be told no at the end of the day. And they have the right to kill you for doing such. With Bitcoin, to me, it was the same thing. If I have the ability to say no, I want that to the nth degree. And so, you know, then I spent some time like sort of rebuilding everything or or trying to rebuild uh, what I thought I had done with Bitcoin through Coinbase Commerce and these things. Okay, well, how do I start to slowly like unravel all that and build it back um, to be more concerned about privacy and to have as much non-KYC Bitcoin as I can? Because that to me is like, you know, having a spare AR-15 buried in a waterproof case somewhere in a public park. um, I may have done that. I'm not (laughs) sure I can potentially admit to that. But uh, yeah, there there may or may not be a few of those. And so like, that's your backup plan, right? I mean, nobody wants to turn their guns in, but um, they may come and take them while I'm at work and I may come home and there's no guns left in the house. And then we find out that, you know, they're lining up everybody to face the wall. And it's like, okay, I'm glad I buried that one. Um, You know? That that's kind of how I thought of it. That's how I got into it. Okay, um, lots unpacked there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so first of all, um, I love the guys. I love the guys at Samurai and Ronin Dojo. Like they're my they're right. they're, they're good people. Great guys. Um, Great guys. 
so it does not surprise me. Uh, and most of the guns and Bitcoin crowd, like they're they were great people. So like it doesn't surprise me that they uh, they they hit you hard and fast with the freedom money pitch. Um, depending on my mood, I'll call Bitcoin freedom money or fuck you money. And I think they both they both uh, fit. And I, I could tell yeah. that your perspective is the same. So when did you switch to BTC Pay Server? So um, basically, right when I got home from that conference, I said, OK, we, we need to get away from Coinbase Commerce completely. Like yeah. that. I need to do that. I'm pretty sure so, the Coinbase Commerce terms and conditions say like no firearm sales, probably. I, I, yeah. I, they probably do. And again, like yeah. and then you start looking at it like, all right, I'm only going to be able to get away with this for so long, probably. Yeah. So what what do we do? So I started looking into, OK, well, what options do I have? And unfortunately, like our website is built on a platform where we have to work within their box. And it's Shopify, right? Right. So we have to work in that box. What what can I do? Um, so the BTC pay integration is a little tougher. I, I had tried a different company's node. I won't, you know, I, I'm not really interested in like, you know, trashing those guys or anything. The work node works fine for what it is. I just found that it did not work. It did not work uh, with BTC pay the way that they said it would. And BTC pay ba basically said, yeah, like we know that this isn't going to work very well and like, we'll do our best to try to help you out. But like, this is not like, really the customer problem. needs to like use Tor or whatever. Like it's not. Yeah, it was, um, it practice. just, I found it impossible to connect. I uh, could not get it to work. And so, um, for a while I just kind of let that go. It's like, I don't have time to deal with this. I got a million other problems going on to solve. You know, the market was kind of turning COVID, uh, logistics, all this shit. So then um, I finally was able to get BTC pay to work uh, in some capacity, you know, uh, and then now I'm getting to the point where it's on its own node, um, on its own server, uh, pointed to its own node. And, and so it's, you know, as disconnected as, as I as you can get it, uh, that that's that was always the goal. So. Um, it was just a matter, I think, you know, unfortunately, I, I do like BTC pay. But again, um, I, I think like we're at a weird early adoption type stage where I just think eventually there'll be better options that are like right now I find the hard part is for a layman like myself, I'm not a tech guy, right? I have an ammo company to run. Yep. So for me, I still like, I'm, and I'm a very mechanical guy. Like, you know, I work on cars. Like I, I build my own rifles. Like I'm a very mechanical guy, but I'm not a software guy. Uh, that's, I just, I don't have the knack for it. My father, my brother are both software people. It's just not for me. So I, I find it difficult to, to be doing any kind of coding or stuff like that. And I so I, I could also look at it from the perspective. I, I can see why other companies in the gun industry don't aren't using it because they just really don't know how to make it all work. And from a tech perspective, yeah. we're pretty behind the curve. And so, um, yeah, that. Yeah, we had we had a we had an audience member. uh in his shout out on the last episode he's like we're still early like we are very early we are um, still early like i before btc pay existed it was very bad um very i want to be i want to be clear like most people were using stuff 100%. like coinbase commerce or bitpay which have the same exact right. issues with all the other centralized payment processors and credit card land um so like the fact that we have a tool like btc pay available to us is massive um I will say the team at BTC Pay knows that they need to make it easier, that everything needs right. to be easier. I think like, yeah. um, I'm not going to take full credit for it, but I think like three years ago, um, for my other podcast, Rabbit Hole Recap, we actually, our developer set up the first Shopify BTC Pay instance together and like 
got the ball rolling on 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 relatively easily integrating Shopify with BTC Pay. Oh, right. so like that's how that's how like quick this our side of the industry is moving and on the Bitcoin sure. land is. In a matter of years, we've made substantial improvements. Um, but yeah, it, we're definitely still early. Part of the reason I wanted you on the show is because you're accepting through BTC Pay. Um, right. Because you're accepting Bitcoin in a sovereign fashion, you're actually using it as freedom money, and you're actually hold. I, I, I mean, like it's not auto converting to dollars. Like you have to manually sell it if you want right. to convert it to dollars, which right. is what I think leads the next leg of a merchant adoption, which is this idea of um, actual small businesses that have a use case for Bitcoin. That's not just like publicity. Maybe that's how you started. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's how you kind of started, but. But like they have a desire to to stack freedom money. They they want they want right. to they want customers to pay in it, um, and they want to do it in a sovereign fashion. So I mean, you kind of mentioned like the difficulty of setting it up. Do you like part of the reason I asked you to come on the show is because you you were feeling quite passionate on Twitter about the fact that more companies in the firearms industry do not accept Bitcoin. Right. Um, like it seems like such an obvious. I mean, like there's Operation Choke Point. There's like obviously very hard to get a payment process. It seems yeah. like a perfect fit. I mean, they like New York regulators recently like pushed the thing where like my the credit card companies will all like market as I'm like I'm paying to a gun store. They're yeah, like they setting up merchant code, correct? They're like setting it up to start you know blocking right. the payments, right? It's like the first step, mm-hmm. and so it seems like the industry. Right. Like it, it seems like the industry that should be moving into Bitcoin um, and is not um, like what are the like, why? Why? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of reasons. Number one, the industry is just very old. Um, it's fucking loaded with boomers and they just don't understand it. And and I hate to be that guy, you know, like it's such a played out, uh, you know, boomer. But um, the industry is, you know, they've been around for a long time. They Things are working pretty well. They're, they kind of do what they do. Um, so there's just not really a lot of incentive to change. I, I was actually at an um, event this weekend with one of the marketing people from Brownells, which is a huge website, obviously. Yep. And I said, Roy, you guys got to take Bitcoin, man. You, get, you guys got to do it because if you guys do it, um, I think that'll put a lot of pressure on other people to do it because I'm just, you know, some fucking guy. Brownells, you, you know, you guys are got like 300. This is the spot. Real deal. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is like, that's where I first learned how to build an AR 15. I mean, yeah. uh, I watched all the Brownells videos, like you guys got to do it. And, and he, you know, I don't know that it'll happen, but he's like, I know exactly who you need. I need to talk to, like, I'll mention it to him. You know, if they have any questions, I said, I'm sure it'll be expensive for you guys. Cause you've got a very complicated website, but you also have a lot more resources. And so if you, if it's going to cost you say $30,000 to have it programmed into your site, just to pick a number off the top of my head, like you actually could spend that money. Like you, you, I think you'd get a return on your investment just from the marketing standpoint, like see it as a tech upgrade and also see it as part of your marketing budget, you know, and that way you're spreading it out over two line items and you can make it make more sense to somebody uh, on your finance team. Who's like, you know, really being a, got an, hawk eye out for those kinds of expenditures um so i i think it's just a matter of they have to see they and and also like we have a lot of suppliers that are very hesitant to even give you like 30-day terms like these people are yeah. it's like a cash only kind of business you know they're very old and established but that's why so bitcoin takes, is useful there i i agree right? that's I agree. A, a pro um, bitcoin and and also you know i it's like, guys, you got you have to see the writing on the wall. You know, 
at the end of the day, there's no way to accept a credit card without the blessing of Visa and MasterCard and then also the banks that are even above them. And so you can reinvent the wheel however many you can call authorized.net, whatever you want to call it. You can call it parallel economy. You can call it whatever that, which is exactly what it is. Like, you know, people on the right are all like hyped up about parallel economy, this parallel economy, that. Um, and that was a point I made, um, which also related to like, why do we accept Bitcoins? Like, guys, this is just a, you know, this is just like freedom repackaged in freedom. This is the same credit card company that we personally have been using since 2016. But they wrap it in a flag and they call it parallel economy and they and they make you think that somehow they are getting around the same banks um, and the same, uh, you know, Visa and MasterCard, right. but they're just not. They're just it's not. bullshit. Um, it's just yeah. it's all bullshit. And I'm sorry, but uh, this is the only way to do it. And so if we can get people if we can if we can encourage it to be used more, then we can encourage more people to go into developing the software and the technology that we need to make it work better. And so if in my limited capacity, I can find a way to make this make sense to the layman in the gun community who doesn't really understand what it is. Like these are guys that like to deal in the physical world, right? I want a rifle in my hands. So like to try to get the guy to imagine like uh, a digital AR that's in the cloud, like that's, that's, I've tried to describe <laughs> it that way. Like, you know, how do, how do I make this make sense to people? And so you know, I, I've tried to relay some of the ways that like Michael Saylor has described it as digital energy, uh, things like that, but sort of put like the Second Amendment spin on it in a way like, you know, this is actually like a digital AR-15, like, but it's better because they can't take it from you. And so, you know, everybody remembers their social security number because that's what we were taught when we were a kid. So this idea that like you shouldn't be able to remember 12 words in a row, like, that's bullshit. Like anybody could do that. Just like you could learn nine digits, right? Like you should be able to do that. And frankly, if you're not willing to do that, then maybe this isn't for you and that's fine right now. But in 10 or 15 years, like it's going to be foisted upon you probably whether you like it or not like this, this, the digitization of money is going to happen, whether you like it or not, just like we went from checks to debit cards uh and what have you gold to you know fiat current paper currency wampum to from you know wampum to gold whatever like it's going to happen whether you like it or not in the same way that you would never get into a gunfight with a spear or a rock or a stick why because it's ancient technology that's why you shouldn't carry a revolver like this is ancient technology guys we, we've moved on to like magazine fed weapons you know uh so that's that's what Bitcoin is to me. It's the next evolution of, of money. And so um, the faster you get on board, the, probably the better off you are. And certainly for us. Yeah, I mean, first off, uh, consider this me offering to donate my time to help Brownells accept Bitcoin. Like if they, <laughs> I, honestly, if, I, if they I, need I, the I help, know. I'm happy. I'm happy to help. Right. Uh, I agree. That would be massive. Um, there's a little bit of a disconnect. I mean, first of all, yeah, there's there's a lot of overlap. You mentioned the idea of like, uh, you know, if you're not willing to take the personal responsibility, that maybe Bitcoin's not for you, and like massive overlap there with firearms. Obviously, um, there's right. so so much overlap across uh, both tools, but uh, it's an interesting disconnect because if you go to like a local small gun store, like they realize credit cards are a problem, uh, right. and they push you to cash. They, they push you first to debit cards, 
and then to cash because debit cards are are slightly better in terms of uh, I don't know payment processing and whatnot. Yeah, um, sometimes are lower, yeah. but they try and push you to cash. The smart small gun stores try and push you to cash, right? Um, and then you have like this whole online firearm industry that is pretty much dominated by credit cards because they feel like there's no other option. So to me, like, right, Bitcoin is a natural like. Bitcoin will take longer, I think, to get adopted by the small gun stores as long as cash isn't, you know, fully banned. I mean, it's correct. It's, I, agree. I agree. I I don't even know if they'll fully ban cash because most people just choose not to use cash. It's like it's just whatever, like, especially like in our age range and and younger. Like most of my peers just don't use cash. They just they'd rather use Venmo and their credit card and Apple Pay and all this shit. So maybe like a cash ban doesn't even happen, and those small gun stores will just continue accepting cash. But on the online side. That's where the real right. value lies. And to me, it should be a relatively, I mean, I, I agree that the tools are difficult and they could get easier and they will get easier. And a lot of us are working on that. But um, it seems so obvious on the online side as an alternative. I, I, hear, you, man. I hear you. It really does. And, and I, that's a good way to think about it, you know, and that's sort of where those two things happened in conjunction. We, we were, you know, I used to be, I used to make large cash deposits cause we'd get home from a gun show and I might have yep. you know, $15,000 worth of $100, $20 bills. Um, but as we got away from those, I stopped making cash deposits cause we just don't really get that much cash. Um, and it's not scalable, right? I can't, I can't, right. uh, uh, I kept getting emails from these guys like, hey, can I send you a check from Arkansas and, you know, like buy the ammo? That <laughs> one. Like, no, bro, I don't have fucking time for that, man. I, I honestly that that would be cool, but I just can't do it. I just I do not. I cannot do I will I will die. I'll kill myself like this is it's, it's going to be too much. I don't have the energy for it. I really wish I could. You know, I mean, I, guys, can I send you a cashier's check? Can I? It's just, yeah, a money order. Can I pay with money? Can order? It, yeah. Can you mail it COD? Like, oh, God, no. So, um, yeah, then it, okay, well, this is a way for me to, in a way, accept cash, right? Uh, a, a non, a non uh, credit card currency via wires and electricity. And so, yeah, it makes sense. It, and and um, you would think, but you just have to get over all the other stuff, but, but it's not real. Well, yeah, I know. But do you think your dollar, like, re, what do you mean by real? You know, like it's like yeah. you're talking. It's like that scene in the Matrix. Like, what what is real exactly? Yeah. You know, like you think your bank, like you think your bank account is real. No, it's software and numbers floating in cyberspace that they can alter, change, delete uh, anytime they want. So, um, you don't seem to have a problem with that. Like you, you you trust the computers that move those digits between your bank account and whoever else's bank account that you're transacting with but you don't trust a decentralized set of computers doing exactly the same thing, except they're not in the hands of a bunch of multinational companies and oligarchs who don't fucking care about you and are probably getting ready to like, you know, set off some kind of device and like go to their bunker in New Zealand. Like that's, you know, that's who you trust, <laughs> but you don't trust your own node. You don't trust yourself to be able to remember these 12 words and like do just a modicum of, of research and work. Like, to me, that's the same as, you know, these are all people who, um, you know, the trad culture people on Twitter and the Internet who are all like raising their own chickens and digging their own water wells and all these things. And like, I love that stuff. I do. I have solar panels. I've got my own water well, my own septic system. So I want my own fucking money. I want my own bank account. I, I want I want a system that is more in my control than it currently is. 
And um, I saw Bitcoin as the that was the obvious answer. And so, yeah, I think part of it is just, again, like, you know, I'm I'm 38. So I'm sort of like a boomer millennial. You know, I'm like at the top end of the millennial spectrum. <laughs> I, I had a cell phone when I was like 14, but it had like a 200 minutes and like 50 text messages and I couldn't use it or my parents would fucking kill me. You know, it was like only to call for emergencies. So like I lived through that, you know, and now I'm just like everybody else. I got a, a you know, a modern phone and technology. So I, I can see how much that progressed over that small period of time. And so to me, it's easy to see the inevitable flow for the future. But I think for some who are older than me, it's very difficult for them to grasp some of these concepts. Like you, you really have to take it, you, you have to figure out ways to make analogies very simple. And like, you know, sometimes people criticize me because maybe I don't get the analogy exactly perfect when it comes to like, well, what is mining? And, um, you know, like, how does a node work? And fine. But if that means that I can talk my mother into, um, you know, getting a Bitcoin wallet, it's just like, mom, here, I'm going to give you this uh, passport. Um, you need to remember these 12 words. And like, that's all you really need to know about it right now. Just know that I'm going to be putting some things into here. And like, you know, this is what you need to do. And then eventually you like work their way into it little bit by little bit. But um yeah, I think that's uh, that's what I that's what I think I try. I've always been good at explaining things, I think. And you get that way from years and years and years of trying to convert anti-gun people into pro-gun people. Right. You have to be very you have to figure out very concise arguments and you have to figure out how to read people and understand, like, what makes sense to them. And so I try to do that with Bitcoin. Like, what's the one nugget I can put in this guy's head that maybe isn't the full picture? But it's going to get him enough to like start thinking about it and maybe do some of his own research, which is exactly what I did. You know, um, that's how I got into it. And so I think in our in our world, there are, you know, guys will watch like 15,000 Grand Thumb videos trying to figure out like what optic to buy. They never fucking shoot. But like they watched, you know, 10 yep. hours of, of, you know, reviews on optics. But it's like you won't watch a one and a half hour podcast where. You know, I, I think I, I, people criticize Michael Saylor for a lot of things. I think I think he explains Bitcoin very well. Um, and so I, I try to send those his podcast to people in general because I think he does a very good job of kind of laying it out in maybe an hour. And it's like if you can't, you know, just take an hour, just listen to it and, and you'll get it, I think. Yeah, I mean, once again, lots of overlap. Uh I mean, we have that in the in like the Bitcoin world, right? Where like people will spend like ten thousand hours watching like philosophy Bitcoin podcasts and mm -hmm. not actually learn how to hold their own keys and use their own node. Correct. I um, mean, like yeah. actually train as using it as freedom money. Um, right. I mean, my my Zen ones overlap. Like, I think, I think the Zen on 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 Bitcoin to me, like I call it. Um, uh, doomer optimism uh so like <laughs> like my zen on bitcoin is that like as censorship increases like people will figure out that they need it right they'll need right. they'll need money that can't be blocked and can't be that cannot be easily blocked and cannot be easily seized um and it's very similar with the firearm industry in that regard and specifically with the firearm industry using bitcoin like we are in the trend where credit cards are going to start censoring bitcoin uh uh, firearm purchases and, and, and ammo purchases and all accessories and everything. Um, and as that starts to happen, 
it'll wake up to people like, uh, you know, owners will realize business owners will realize like I need to start accepting Bitcoin because it's I have no other option. Um, the frustration part comes and I can sense it in you. The frustration comes when you can see it clearly and it would be way less painful if people prepared for it ahead of time. Um, right. And so many ignore that potential opportunity to prepare ahead of time. Um, but I think, you know, I think ultimately, like as censorship increases, people will 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 move to Bitcoin because they have because they have no other option. It's just frustrating um, how clearly it seems sometimes, and 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 people just don't don't necessarily listen, right? Right. Yeah. I think again, like looking at it from, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm like some kind of a real serious prepper in, in the way yeah. some of these people think that they are, but uh, I certainly am a, a prepper to a degree. Like I said, I, I'm interested in um, a lot of different things. I have solar panels on my house. I, I, I grew up with my own water well and septic system. So I thought everybody lived that way. Right. If you get older and you realize like, yeah, this is actually really good. I can, I control more of my own stuff. You know, when there's a boil water warning, I don't have to worry about it. Um, and I always wondered why that was as a kid. And then my dad explained it to me one day. And again, I just like, that seemed to be the way to live to me. And so you're prepping for all these things. You're prepping for like an EMP. You're prepping for the, um, you know, Yellowstone volcano eruption and all this shit. <laughs> like, but you're but you're not prepping. And, and you are prepping for what you think of as a governmental collapse. And maybe you don't think that's because the country's going to get engulfed in like a civil war or anything. But um, the reality is like money has a lot to do with that, like money and the economy. Um, look at other countries where they have hyperinflation. I mean, it can happen for any number of reasons, right? It doesn't ha doesn't just happen because of a dictatorship or whatever. It can happen because of an internal civil war. I mean, all kinds of different things. And so you're prepping for all this other stuff. And, and this is the one that you just won't take the time to understand. Like, yeah, that's for sure a little bit frustrating. But again, um, I, so I, to, but to me, I see that as an opportunity. So yeah. here, here's a community I can tap into where maybe I'm not the best at this. So I'm going to go learn from the people who are much better at it than me, the Bitcoin people. And probably what's going to happen along the way is I'm going to find a lot of Bitcoin people who don't own a gun and who are the exact same, but from the other side, right? They're prepped to the gills. They've got, you know, a million cold wallets everywhere. You know, they these guys like... You know, they, they, they practice the like they can memorize 100 words in a row because they got like 10 wallets and all this shit. And they got their, you know, uh, metal cards are all stamped out. And, you know, like they got uh, half the passphrase of their cabin and this and that. But it's like you don't even own a fucking gun. Are you serious? Like, do you in that case, you better you better hope that uh, you've got enough intestinal fortitude to be to literally tortured to death and not give up your passphrase. And looking at some of you guys, I, I frankly, I are <laughs> pretty low. So uh, I think the minute that, you know, they put the towel over your face and they pour Mountain Dew on it, you're going to be screaming those 12 words um, pretty quick. Oh, that's a new one. Mountain Dew waterboarding? Mountain Dew boarding? Yeah, that's actually what you're supposed to use. Uh, because oh, because the carbonation? The, the, the carbonation is uh, like a thousand times worse. Noted. Uh, you learn something new every day. <laughs> um, um, so anyway, yeah. So it's like... Uh, so I see the same thing from both sides. And so I think, well, you know, does the what, sugar help or is it like, can I just um, use soda water or is that a, I don't know about that. I think, um, 
I mean, Mountain Dew is like fairly caustic too. I mean, maybe Coca Cola would probably be worse. It's like the acid and the. That's interesting. Okay, sorry, I derailed you. We'll we'll have to try that later. No, it's okay. Uh, So, um, and one thing that I find the gun industry is bad at is technology, right? So, um, I want to be around these people who understand the technology side. And maybe maybe these people can solve some other problems for us as well. So here's an alliance that we can build. I thought the same. I feel the same way about uh, the marijuana legalization community. Right. Yep. Regardless of whether you think that's a good idea or morally acceptable, whether it's your thing to do, whatever. Yep. You know, I don't think people should be smoking crack in the streets, but like. You know, I do think marijuana should be federally legal. I think that's uh, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. Um, So people should be able to make their own decision. And also another great fit for the Bitcoin industry. Yeah, I'm like a small L libertarian. Uh, So here's another industry that has the same problem, right? They can't accept credit cards. They have problems accepting money, but they're a very powerful industry. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of investment capital. It's a booming, growing market in many states. Uh, so here are sort of three industries that share, it's like a, you know, a three circle Venn diagram. There's like all this stuff in the middle that we have problems that we all have together that we can help each other with. Um, you know, I, I think it's, be, you know, there's a lot of people with, a, um, a marijuana charge on their record who legally can't own a gun because of that. So, right. Um, how about we all team up and get on the same side and start trying to work together and figure out a way to like build alliances between those three industries. And so that to me, like, that's why I went to guns and Bitcoin. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to learn. I wanted to go into a room where I thought I was the dumbest guy in the room and just listen to those guys for a weekend and come away with a few nuggets that I thought I can, I can work with as a business, but this will make me better at explaining it to other people. Right. Like, Though when you when you really learn something hands on, you're much better at teaching it to others. Uh, And that's that's uh, that's what it was for me. Well, just because it's infuriating and you kind of mentioned it, uh, you can have a marijuana charge so you can't own a marijuana business, which is really fucking insane. Even crazier. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I uh, so talking about overlap. um, One thing I think is interesting is the firearm industry in America, and you've been very outspoken about this on Twitter lately, is obviously a massive target for regulation. Um, And it's a industry that, you know, I can't imagine running a small business in it. Um, You have a ton of bureaucracy. I I saw someone in the comments asked uh, specifically, like, do you have issues with, you know, selling larger round amounts? Um, But, uh, I'm curious, like, I think this is a blind spot for a lot of Bitcoiners. I think, uh, you know, we talk about, I don't know who said the quote. Was it Gandhi? I don't fucking know. Uh, uh, that, you know, first first they laugh at you, then they fight you. There's a middle, right. there's there's three. That, that, then then they, something, and then you win, right? And yeah. then you win, yeah. First, first yeah. they laugh at you, then they fight at you, then you win. Um, I think there's a like there's something in between. Yeah. But it, well, anyway, yeah, I, I, the I, general I, direction, yeah. right? I think a lot of Bitcoiners think yes. the then they fight you stage has already happened, um, and I actually yeah. get a lot of flack within the industry because I say we're we're so that has not even come close yet. Not even, um, close. Not even And close. I think I think uh, like the firearm industry 
understands the risk. They understand the risk of 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 government overreach, um, and they've been fighting it for a long fucking time. Um, and even things like uh, every every regulated Bitcoin company right now. Uh, we have Dr. Dre. First, they ignore you. First, they ignore you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Uh, then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then you win. There you go. Okay. We nailed it. Um, thanks, team. Uh, so, <laughs> like, in the in the Bitcoin industry, every single regulated Bitcoin company is keeping lists of Bitcoiners and our transaction history. 100%. KYC, right? That's what we call it, KYC. Um, in the firearm industry, we've seen that as a, as a red line, right? This idea that we don't want... Uh, we don't want lists of, of gun right. owners because right. that's the first step to confiscation. Yeah. Um, now, I don't think the firearm industry has been necessarily very successful on that front, but at least By large, no, but right. I mean, but uh, but, but that's but, but that's something that they and, and they the, the other threat side is knows. recognized. Right. Correct, right. The threat is recognized. So I'm curious on like your perspective. You're running a small business in the firearm industry. Yep. You're very outspoken about political issues on Twitter. Um, like how should Bitcoiners be thinking about like from your perspective, like how should Bitcoiners be thinking about this? Yeah. So, I mean, we are sort of in a very parallel situation here. So um, Bitcoiners, in, if, if you own guns, you know, you, what you need to think of is where we are with Bitcoin similarly is. Um, like, for example, here in Michigan, they just passed what they call a universal background check law. So in most states, this this was not this is not a loophole. Um, everybody knew that this exists, that this existed and it was intended to exist um, when they when they passed the law to require background checks from a uh, to bu purchase a gun from a dealer. Because remember, like in the 60s, 70s, you could buy a gun from a Sears catalog and it could be shipped directly to your home. Serial numbers were not required to be on a firearm until 1968. Okay, so there's like a shit ton of guns out there that have literally no serial number, and it was right. never a problem. So um, it, what happens is incrementalism. They make you put a number on the gun in 1968, and then they get up to the uh, the background check, the the Brady Law, um, and now you have to get a background check to buy a gun from a dealer. But in the law, there was a provision that if I was selling a gun person to person, if I you hand me 500 bucks and I hand you a yeah. rifle, there's a background check there. There's no forms. That was in, it was intended to be that way. That was that was the compromise that the um, anti-gunners always say, well, you guys never compromise. Can't you can't you just compromise with us? That was the compromise. And now here you are in 2023 in Michigan, for example taking that compromise back away. And so they just passed a law in Michigan where now um, that you, you can't do that anymore. If you are doing a private sale for a long gun, person to person, you have to go to a dealer and the dealer has to do a, ba a background check and you have to do a form 4473 oh, and shit. it's all recorded. So in most other states, and well, I should say in many other states, it's been that way for a long time. But like that was something that we, I really held on to about Michigan that made us actually like one of the better states from a gun law perspective. We did lose the private sale exemption on handguns some years ago, and that was a disappointment. But, you know, most states, it was both. In any case, now we can't do that anymore. In reality, it's sort of unenforceable because... They have no record of where those guns were right. at this moment in time. And so I could always say I sold that gun five years before the law passed and there's no way for them to actually know again. Um, but 
that's the most dangerous laws tend to be the vague ones where they can correct exactly and so you know basically now they are where we are with bitcoin in the same fashion where hey yeah we need we need to start kycing all this bitcoin we can't we can't have people running around with unregistered bitcoin because god knows what they would do with it like take out the word bitcoin and insert firearm and you'll find that it's exactly the same argument well we can't have guys running around with unserialized guns you can't be 3d printing your own guns because um we just don't like that and we don't know where they all are so uh yeah you can't do that anymore so we're kind of in the same situation with both of these technologies right at the same time and government luckily is you know by and large comprised of people who are just some of the most unimpressive people in the world right <laughs> honestly very very low iq folks people who uh couldn't hack it in other industries i mean it's it's like the profession of last resort i find uh so they're they're dumb enough to not really understand the technology so it's taking them a while to get brought up to speed to be able to figure it out but eventually they're going to figure it out or i should say they're going to figure out how to write a law to make it hard for you to do um again kind of we're in that situation right now with uh, the pistol brace ars right i mean you know they're probably going to be I, it, it, I probably shouldn't say it out loud but like you know obviously everybody knows why we did that it's to get around the to get around the the uh, sbr laws i mean plain and simple like it, it may not have started out that way but everybody everybody knows that that's really what that was about because sbr laws are bullshit and they shouldn't be here to begin with and so it's not our fault that we read the law and when you guys wrote it you were stupid enough to not write it in a way that this could uh couldn't be figured out and we're smarter than you are so we figured it out and go fuck yourselves suck on it like choke on it but right. now you have the atf writing their own regulations and trying to insist that they have the ability to um classify all these things as sbrs and you know it's it's may 30th so uh in two days unless you're a member of the firearms policy coalition or the second amendment foundation or you own a specific type of brace um if you haven't registered that in, in less than 48 hours you are going to become a felon uh so what happens when the same thing happens on the bitcoin side you have uh we've passed this law and in six months all of your bitcoin ne needs to be kyc you need to turn you need to turn in your bitcoin so what do you do and for me personally um i've decided that um, look, there's a lot of things I would love to own right now that I can't. I think there should be no problem with being able to, to own a machine gun. Um, I think you should be able to own grenades, rocket launchers, you name it, right? Uh, but I have decided at this point, like, I'm not going to accept anymore. So regardless of what gets passed, whatever brace law you pass, magazine pass, et cetera, like, I, I'm definitely not complying with any of those. And I may not be able to do anything personally to move things in the reverse, you know, deregulate suppressors, deregulate machine right. guns, um, these kinds of things. I may not have the political will or the capital to be able to do that. Uh, but I'm my line in the sand is I'm certainly not accepting anything more. So I'm not registering my braces um, if they if Michigan, you know, Michigan actually has control of the legislature and the governorship on the Democrat side right now. If they pass a bill that says you have to turn in your AR-15 tomorrow, I'm simply not going to do it. And everybody knows that I've got them, and uh, they can decide what they will. Wait, really? You have AR-15s? So, exactly right. Yeah, like what a surprise. So, yeah, for me, I, I think uh, 
that's that's just the bottom line. Like you have to decide what your line in the sand is. And I think for Bitcoin people, that time is going to be that time is already here. And as a Bitcoiner, you should be thinking about that yourself. Like, what exactly is my line in the yep. sand and what have I prepared so that I can actually say no in that situation and have the ability to not have to uh, comply? Right. Like, how do I set myself up as best as I can so that I don't have to comply with them? Like, do I have the ability to, um, you know, move things around in wallets without being connected to the internet. You know, like I was looking at Gotenna's product um, and was kind of interested in that. They're using like UHF. Don't uh, waste your time. Waves. Don't, oh yeah, maybe, maybe it's not good, but like- I was I, I was excited I'm about Gotenna. Like, I, I'm excited from the sense that I'm glad people are thinking about it in ways that I can't. So I wasted know, my time on Gotenna. So I'm just trying to really? save you your time, Justin. Oh, that's um, fair. And but, I appreciate uh, that. And I'm always willing to learn. Like I'm certainly no expert in what the best technology is out there. I, I guess I would say I'm, I'm glad that somebody out there is thinking about it because I'm trying to do the same thing from my end. Like how do I- how do I manufacture ammunition that is literally untraceable? How do I manufacture ammo that can both, you know, um, like for, uh, I, I can talk about something more in length, uh, but it looks like you had a question. I didn't want to. Uh, well, no, first of all, on Gotenna, Gotenna is proprietary. It's not an open platform uh, and they sure. make majority of their money on military and police mm -hmm. contracts. Like you can get a better version of I, Gotenna. I if you're the military or police and then yeah, we get like we get the cucked version and like it's not open and interoperable but like mesh in general i'm very excited about um, yeah mesh technology i should say that uh, yeah I, I, if I use um kleenex instead of oh know, no i'm just i'm just trying to save you time because yeah. i wasted my sure. time i was i was an <laughs> outspoken I, I i spent a lot of hours on gotenna um first of all i had a freak reach out gandhi did not say that quote just Thanks to the freaks. To yeah, I think that we mean seeing it being attributed to Gandhi, but I, he didn't know, say the quote. Like quotes um, that everybody said, but nobody said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to me, the overlap, the word of the day, the word of the podcast is overlap. Um, yes. I yes. could see it going. I could see Bitcoin going the path. And it, I know you said good words and there's a lot of respect there with Michael Saylor. Um, but Saylor I agree with a lot of things that Saylor believes, but then also to me, he's this new, like more status entrant into Bitcoin. I can, um, see, I and I, I can see where we start to see restrictions getting put in place and the Saylor camp of Bitcoiners are like, this is regulatory clarity. This is what we need for oh, Black Rocks to come into the world. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. The overlap I see is I could see it being very similar to silencers, which is, it's it's amazing to me that to buy a can, like you have to, you have to pay the federal government, uh, and then you have to get on the list, like the primo list, like there's, you know, like that that is the list, uh, the list of lists, uh, to to be on to get the suppressor, and then you have to wait a year to receive it, and most people just accepted it, right? Like that is just like that is how it is. Um, and I could see a similar situation where Bitcoin, it's like, okay, like you pay, you pay them your fee, you, right. you know, you buy the Bitcoin, you register the Bitcoin with them. Uh, you know, maybe it gets delivered to a registered Bitcoin dealer or something. Maybe it doesn't. Right. But then, then you're, you get your address that yours is assigned to you. Then you put it in your address and then you're allowed to hold, you can even hold your own keys 
you know, like, don't worry, you can hold your own keys after the year and you, you pay your, you, you pay your amount, but like, we know exactly where it is at any given time. And if we want to retroactively ban it in the future, like you're on the list, you're tagged, like we know right. exactly where to go. And I think there's a whole group of Bitcoiners that would like support that. They would be like, we're getting regulatory clarity. We're going to yeah. have BlackRock come in. They're going to put trillions of dollars in. It's going to pump yeah, the price of Bitcoin. See maybe, maybe, um, you know, and if Michael Saylor was like getting ready to write me a big check, sorry, like uh, my apologies. But uh, <laughs> like, you, you could, I, I could see you viewing Michael as like um, Jeff Bezos in the early days of Amazon, where it's like you would be an idiot not to listen to the guy to a degree yeah. because you're like revolutionizing this industry. But at the end of the day, you know that this guy's going to turn into like an oligarch and pull the ladder up underneath them and make sure that nobody else. And like, I, I fully see that because that's how the firearms industry is, you know, right. like these organic companies at the top, they would, that's why they don't give a fuck about your business as a civilian, right. Is they uh, make their money mostly on military and law enforcement contracts and selling to the populace here is the cherry on top, but they don't get to do that in any other country. So they just don't really care. They're not going to put any marketing effort into you. Their marketing is, hey, we sell, uh, you know, it's like, like, look at Trigicon, you know, right down the street from us. I love Trigicon optics, but like their, their selling point is our prices are really fucking high and the military uses it. So don't be a poor and pay the money. And like so H&K is the same thing. Like, and, you know, they actually fully acknowledge it. And so it's like these guys, they are at, they are the top of they are what the you think of as the military industrial complex right and like that for me is what kind of got me into using that phrase militia industrial complex is hey you know that's really what this second amendment was written for and all these companies that got founded back in the 1800s who had that at their heart are very far from that now winchester federal remington you know ruger all these like very old uh storied companies um you know, they pay a lot of money to lobbyists and they play the government games just like everybody else. And so you really can't trust them any more than you can trust the people who are truly on the anti-gun side, because most of the anti-gun legislation that we've had over the last 30, 40 years was um, more or less allowed by those entities. They didn't fight back. They didn't speak for you uh, because, to be honest, you know, they don't want to lose your business, but they're OK to not have it either. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of forgot where we were uh, going with that particularly, but um, oh, as far as uh, like regulation and, and, and what have you. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that er everywhere I go in this industry. And so, um, again, that's been an influence into the way that I try to do things. And so then I can kind of see it again within the Bitcoin sphere. Yeah, I, so I can see how um, maybe that's what Michael Saylor is. There's probably somebody, right? If, it, if not him, then it's, there's definitely somebody. And, and I'm not knowledgeable enough of the, say, big players in the Bitcoin world to know who's the shill and who's the Fed and who's the, you know, uh, the guy like working in the background. Maybe they're all Feds. Who knows? We're, and in that, in that case, we the only safe assumption right? is that everyone's a spook, Justin. Exactly. And if and if that's true, then like, you know, then the rifles will end up coming out and I'm all right. I'll, I'll figure it out. So, you know, I'm not giving those up either. So, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think the cool part about Bitcoin is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what someone like Sailor's motives are, or Brian Armstrong of Coinbase, right. um, because it doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you own, you can't control the protocol or the network or the money. Correct. Like, right. That's the key Correct. value prop. The yes. key value prop Correct. is it, Correct. and, and, you know, the, 
the metaphor over on t- into the gun industry is like it doesn't matter that HK doesn't care about selling to civilians. Uh, as long as civilians are able to obtain their own firearms somehow right. or right. print them and then train how to use them, uh, it doesn't matter. This this one company cannot necessarily control the whole industry. Um, I think on, on Bitcoin, it's a little bit more, um, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin is, is young. Uh, the firearm industry is very old. Um, yes. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, and we see this a lot. We see this a lot that just our, our government in general is so intertwined with uh, large corporations yeah. that that's where you start to see uh, like the American, the American libertarian right and the American like Bernie bro left <laughs> agree on certain things because one side yeah. is anti-government oh, yeah. and the other side is anti-corporation and they're just all Correct. intertwined. Uh, right at this I mean, point I, and you see that in the firearm industry that is my point and i, I start to see that yes, grow into yes. the bitcoin industry yes. where we're just so young that these large corporations haven't had enough time to necessarily intertwine themselves with corrupt politicians but we're starting to get there and we're starting to see these early signs of that and it, and bitcoin is growing up as a result uh but uh it's just something that bitcoiners i just wish we're a little bit more aware of and a little bit more vocal about but there's there's very little financial incentive for public yeah, corners to talk I, about I, it. I tell people like if you if you want to turn your super socialist um, like universal health care for everybody friend into a pro gun person, have them watch the movie John Q. Right. And so those who haven't seen it, Denzel Washington is the main character. He's the father of a son with a heart condition, finds out that the son needs a heart transplant, but he just lost his job. And so his health insurance company denies him. And so basically he fucking loads up a gun, uh, comes up with a plan, goes to the hospital. And more or less, like at the beginning, you think he's going to go on a shooting rampage and this is going to be like some kind of vengeance movie. But in reality, what he's doing is setting it up so that. He's effectively putting the gun to his own head and holding himself hostage. And basically at the end, like that's the deal he thinks he's making is that he's going to kill himself and he's going to donate his own heart to his son to save him. And it, it doesn't work. You know, spoiler alert, it doesn't have to go that way at the end. But, you know, I remember watching the movie the first time and thinking like, oh, man, this is like a really leftist movie. Like these fucking universal healthcare people, they're trying to make it seem like every corporation's <laughs> bad. Like, and I, I love that. I, I watch so many leftists. Do- I've watched every like pollution, like evil multi, you know, DuPont killed people by dumping waste in this river. Like I've watched literally every leftist uh, framed documentary that you could possibly imagine on corporate malfeasance. I went down to Occupy Wall Street when it was down in Detroit when I worked for an insurance company at the time. And I remember thinking like, you know, you guys actually have a big, you, a lot of you guys have, have a, have a very salient point, but uh, most of you are like a bunch of socialist college kids that are here sleeping in like, you know, North face tents. So like, how about we just get rid of those guys? And like the 20% of you that are actually serious, like, yeah, let's go uh, kick down the door at JP Morgan here. And like, you know, grab some bankers by the necktie and like see some real shit. Like, yeah, this is a bad situation. Like I work for an insurance company. I see how it looks behind the scenes. Like I know how much money there is here. Like I see that this is a problem, but then that all got derailed with, you know, woke, I mean, wokeism was more or less invented right uh, when Occupy Wall Street was happening to distract them from the real issue, which was the banks and the multinational corporations. And so then on the, on the pro gun side, 
we have exactly the same kind of problem. Like uh, the gun companies are happy to have regulations that they already have the capital to uh, get around and taxes that they can afford to pay and they can pull the ladder up from underneath them. And if there's no way for us to get guns and ammunition, then they can sort of starve us out of existence. And so we have to try to decentralize that to a certain degree as much as we can. And there, some of that is not feasible because of the scales of industry you need to make things like say gunpowder or primers. But there are people in the 3D printed gun community who are working on that, like electronic ignitionless primers, piezoelectric primers, um, uh, we're working with a company that's using a 3D printed bullet jacket, um, all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's some things that there are some problems that are going to be harder to solve than others, yep. for, for sure. But we're we're doing as best as I mean, you can 3D print a suppressor now. Um, I've personally done it. And so like the technology is advancing faster than what they can regulate. And that's what we have to keep our eye on the ball. We just have to keep advancing this technology uh, and forcing them to play defense and trying to invent new laws that regulate this and regulate that. And then eventually, eventually they come up with some kind of untenable law that everybody looks at it and says, this is, this doesn't make any sense. This is way too much government control. Um, even people who are like sort of the normies will look at it and go, wow, that's uh, that's pretty fucking radical. And if you can get some of those people on your side, now you're making gains, right? Right. So I'm curious on your opinion, because um, I mean, before like I like discovered Bitcoin and the, like, the greater open source movement, I, I was I would like classify myself as like a disenfranchised youth. Uh, I uh, I was like, politicians are corrupt. There's no adults in the room. Um, they're lying to us. Uh, hope is lost. And I see this among my peer group all the time. People I went to college with, people I went to high school with. Um, and then I found tools like actionable change like actual tools you don't have to go and lobby a politician um you don't have to go lobby a politician for them to actually do the right thing you can just take matters into your own hands use the tools and and have actionable change now in the in the in the firearms industry there is real regulatory pressure i mean there's there's extremely Certainly. intense regulatory pressure where they can they have essentially criminalized certain aspects of of using firearms um how do you like think about the balance of lobbying governments right like like actually trying to get politicians to pass sane or or not not do anything maybe just don't even touch anything just stay right. out of our fucking way versus focusing on the tools focusing on on shipping ammo focusing on education focusing on right you know printing and like like how do you is it is there a balance act to you is are both important or is it yeah I, they're both definitely important i think you need to feel you need to find people who can fill both of those roles separately so you know unfortunately our industry we don't have like a like who's the george soros of the gun industry like we don't have one i wish we kind of did you know like we don't have a daddy warbucks anywhere who's like just like i'll spend a hundred thousand dollars to like get this da elected in this town and just like totally fuck everything up it's like that right. guy like i wish i had that kind of money you know i think some people on our side hope that it's elon musk i'm not so sure Doubtful. about that. we'll see makes a lot of noise but um i've yet to see anything that i can rely on i would say the same thing about trump a lot of people 
um, who voted for Trump uh, either both time or the first time thought that there were some things to be had there. But in the end, we didn't really get much out of it. And in the firearms world, what we what we got was a bump stock ban, yep. which eventually led to this pistol brace situation that we're in. And whether you like Trump or not, um, look, I will fully admit I voted for him both times. Why? Because I wasn't going to vote for Hillary. And I just, you know, I thought it was going to be hilarious the first time. I just like I, I didn't think it could possibly happen. And but per, before that, I voted for Ron Paul. You know, I mean, I, I voted for Ron Paul over uh, John McCain. Um, yeah. over Mitt Romney, like I was going to vote for those guys. So, um, yeah, I, I think the balancing act for me personally, because I don't have the resources to spend money on lobbyists, that's not my arena. Yeah. Um, my, my method is to try to bring back the idea of deterrence, right? Like think about back in the day when you had small cities and your elected representative lived in a very small community and if they went and voted for a bunch of shit that fucked up your life, they had to come home and sit in the tavern. Uh, they had to walk into that tavern and have everybody turn over their shoulder and look at them and be like, what a fucking piece of shit this guy is. Like, can you believe what he did? And we don't really have that anymore. Our politicians are uh, completely they, – they sit in most cases behind guarded doors. We never see them. They don't really interact with the communities very much, uh, certainly not at the, at the federal level right. or at the state level. So for me, I said, um, I kind of got sick of the gun community trope of I'm losing all my guns in a boating accident. And I said, okay, well, you know, that's a, precisely the problem. If they don't think that we're serious, if they think that we're just going to throw all this shit overboard at first sign, then they have no reason to keep to stop doing what they're doing. So rather, um, how about I keep posting up pictures of 50 to 75,000 rounds of ammunition in one day being shipped out all across the country and uh, pictures of people's rifles and pictures of guys training and full equipment uh, with night vision and armor plates and uh, just say, hey, look, guys, uh, the situation is this. We have all this shit and you're not getting it back and you don't know who has it. And um, this should be deterrence like this should speak enough for you to say it's not a good idea for us to pass any more gun control regulation. And we have to stop hiding in the shadows and we have to be honest about it. And um, unfortunately, we can't rely on these major corporations to talk that way because it's just not financially incentive. There's no financial incentive for them to do so. Um, so I'll try to do it as best I can and, and try to find other people who will do that along with me, you know, like Maj Ture at Black Guns Manor. That's why I started, um, to, uh, I, I reached out to him years ago and I said, look, man, I don't know, I don't know what you got planned, but like, uh, let me know how I can help contribute to that because I think what you're doing is great and like you're reaching a crowd I know that I can't reach in a way that I can't speak. So um, let's figure out a way to work together. Like, because what I do know is that our ideologies are perfectly aligned. And that's good enough for me. So let's find other people who are going to be a bit more, you know, uh, maybe not brazen about what they say, but just honest about the whole thing. Yeah. And and let let that uh, do the talking. Let that be the deterrence. Well, right? instead of instead of trying to spend money on lobbyists that I don't, I frankly I just don't have. I just don't have. Right. And I don't trust those people to speak. Uh, right. They're, I mean, they're just as corrupt, if not more. They're yeah, playing the right, game. They're just as corrupt. Right. Um. 
Oh, can we go just real quickly? Can we go? What is the deal with the Black Guns Matter? I'm not familiar oh. with this. So. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, Mosh Teray runs a, um, a, like a nonprofit organization called Black Guns Matter. And so um, he's based out of Philadelphia. Back when I was uh, talking with him originally, he was going across the country basically teaching free firearms training classes in mostly minority um, urban communities in L.A., Philadelphia, Chicago, all these places where all the crime and murders are. And mm. where, you know, it's a very underserved population because uh, most of the time concealed carry permits are, are expensive, so they can't afford it. Um, they don't have access to uh, training because training, I mean, it's, this is an expensive hobby, right? Fire yeah, you're literally shooting expensive. dollar bills right. out of your fucking exactly. rifle. Good training is expensive if you don't have a place to train, which most, you know, Chicago, these cities, they don't have gun ranges. There's, there's no yeah. gun range in the city of Detroit. So he was going across the country. Um, teaching these free classes and i said well i know you need ammo so how about we help you with that and that was kind of the beginnings of it and he's grown he's got his own center in philadelphia now where they do all kinds of like life skills lessons in addition to just teaching shooting classes that led me into a whole nother group of people who are doing similar things in various communities that i know personally i'm not as well equipped to speak to um, so that for me is like, that's where I spend my lobbying money in a way is like, yeah, that's awesome. Like that's my version of lobbying because I don't have the money to affect anything in DC, but I can donate 40,000 rounds of ammo to, uh, a group in Detroit who taught a thousand women over 48 hours on a weekend, some simple firearms instruction and kind of got them into, uh, got, got them into the bug of owning a gun and being able to be their own protector. And that for me was an extremely powerful event, um, very emotional. It, it was a, a world that I just, you know, I just, like not really, there's not a, you don't really have a lot of exposure to like the female side of the firearms community from a consumer standpoint and like what it means to those people that I can't really understand because I'm not one. So uh, that to me, um, I'm getting the benefit of doing some soft marketing, but also I'm getting the intrinsic and altruistic benefits of advancing the cause. Uh, and I'm finding people who can do that for me. But again, at the grassroots level, like, uh, yeah, that's actionable change. That's real change. Yeah, though that those are my communities. That's closer to home for me than donating money to some large political organization that, you know, only so much of that money is going to get spent on real um, activism. I mean, look at the NRA, look at how much money they, they get in versus how much is actually spent doing useful shit. Very little. Well, the NRA is a corrupt regulatory captured organization, but, um, and freaks don't donate to politicians. You're just wasting your money. And yeah, they're just going to put you on a fundraising list forever. Um, uh, Justin, this has been awesome. I've really appreciated the conversation. I, I will say I one more time that I, I really, I really appreciate the product and that you offer it. I, I know it can be frustrating sometimes that, um, you know, other peers in your industry haven't accepted Bitcoin. But this is my thesis. My thesis has always been that, like the small, the small challenger. Uh, that's trying to do things different is the first to adopt Bitcoin, right? Like we, like right. Venmo didn't adopt Bitcoin first, like Cash App adopted Bitcoin first and forced their hand. Uh, you know, Apple didn't adopt Bitcoin. They haven't adopted Bitcoin yet, but like Microsoft started accepting Bitcoin, right? Um, you, you see the challengers do it first. I want to see small business. I expect small businesses to do it first. Um, and just seeing you actually accept it with Bitcoin, uh, with BTC Pay Service, sovereign Bitcoin ownership is fucking awesome and at the end of the day like 
how many you know it'd be nice to have more ammo suppliers uh right that, ex that accept bitcoin but if it's only you for the meantime like your product's amazing so that's okay it, yeah i it's mean the job done to me it made sense and and it um like I've spent a lot of time thinking about other ways to try to make it more anonymous. Like, unfortunately, you know, we're shipping a physical product and it, and it can only be shipped to an act. It can't be shipped to a PO box. Right. And so right. there's some level of anonymity that simply can't be solved with an online business in that way. But I thought like, you know, imagine a decentralized version of Amazon prime delivery, right. Where like you give the guy the box and then it, yeah, they're close with the Amazon boxes. They're just a surveillance company. So it's like, well, right. Like I yeah. imagine Whirlpool, uh, but with your, uh, with, you know, your ammo shipments. Like well, my real dream is like the <laughs> onion routed drones. So it's like one drone okay. drops off to yeah, another sure. drone. Another thing I tell freaks, yeah. another thing I tell, I call my audience freaks, by the way. Uh, sure. um, the, another thing I tell them is like, if you're renting a house, I, I say this with Bitcoin hardware, but if you're renting a house, get a bunch of stuff shipped to the house right before your lease ends. You're about to leave sure. anyway. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, good. Just something to keep in mind. But uh, I mean, I think part of what what is also cool about the firearms industry is that uh, there's still a lot of mom and pop. It's because of like regulatory stuff, but like there's still a lot of mom and pop small gun stores. It's like one of the last bastions of like small yeah. business in America. I also, agree. just like quality product. Like American companies don't make quality product anymore, except in the firearms industry. You start, you still see like product that should outlive us, right? Like not something that just yeah. dies in six years. Um, like there's like you're starting to see the like the early it, stages it, it, of like the it, fiat yeah, economy yeah, yeah, yeah. come into obsolescence. Uh, you could yeah. say, yeah, to to a degree. I mean, but at the end of the day, again, it's like it has to work every time, and so you yeah. know. You might be annoyed that you know you bought a Glock 43 and then the 43X came out six months later. You're like, yeah. "Fuck! Like, why did you guys even sell this? This is so stupid. <laughs> like, why didn't you just? Now I gotta buy the. You know, it doesn't use the same magazine. This is bullshit. This was planned obsolescence by, uh, you know, uh, Glock. Like, okay, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but the thing still works. I mean, yeah, the like, thing will I'll work for a, a decade and yeah. more. You I'll know. take a Glock 43 in the hand over a slingshot. Like if you don't yeah. think so, go ahead and stand in front of it. You know, like I said, like that's the joke and everybody, everybody makes fun of their, the caliber they hate 22 or 380 or 38 special or whatever, you know, it's a boomer caliber. It's for the funds. It's like, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, when somebody points a barrel at you, a, you don't really know what the caliber is and B, there isn't a single person that's going to stand in front and get shot by a 380. Um, so it, it's, yeah, I, I like to play in those jokes and those memes, but, um, but it's a very serious product in a very serious industry. Exactly. So, yeah. There's, um, there's, um, well, anyway, Justin, it's been a fucking pleasure. Uh, before, before we wrap up, I'd like to end with final thoughts. Um, I'd like to put a little spice on the final thoughts for this one. Uh, first of all, I want you to answer my question of if uh, if a freak has never fired a fired a gun before and they live in a non cucked American state that allows them to actually use firearms, um, what would be your advice? And then second, wrap us with some final thoughts. Sure. So I would say for most people uh, do again to like different regulations and laws in your area and just the nature of um like where where you would most typically probably have to actually use a firearm um 
I would concentrate on getting really good with a handgun. Um, there's a lot of training available out there. Um, most of the big name training companies are extremely accepting. You know, even with basic equipment, you can go take a, an eight hour training class and you will go from knowing absolutely nothing to knowing like 50 to 60 percent of like you won't even be able to believe it. You'll, you'll be so much better and so much more confident. I would warn you to get sucked into the typical path of the gun owner, which is you buy a gun and you shoot at indoor ranges. Um, I, I know a lot of good indoor ranges and good owners, but the problem is you just can't do the things there that are going to really make you good at what you might have to do in real life. Drawing In the real life, you're not going to be just standing in a lane shooting. Exactly. Like, right. It builds, I think that they build bad habits. There's a table in front of you where you can, you know, kind of like put the gun, like take the magazine. Like you need to get used to doing these things in the environment where you might need to do them. So the best place to do that is at an outdoor range. Um, we need to keep these outdoor ranges alive. Most of these clubs have been around for 100 years. The population is built up around them. And so the minute that they have a lawsuit or they have not enough members to pay the bills, the land is going to get bought by a developer and we're never going to have outdoor ranges ever again because they're getting zoned out of existence. So I would recommend you join a local, you know, most of them, it's like 200 bucks a year. And Super so, cheap, even yeah. If, yeah, even if you don't use it, like you're, you're doing more by contributing that $200 to that outdoor range than you would be giving that $200 to the NRA or any politician or something like that. Um, and I would also say I would very strongly encourage you to look into basic competition shooting with a handgun. Um, in particular, IDPA, I think, is the most approachable of the two. Um, and while you may have no interest, you may have no competitive bone in your body, look at, look at it instead as two or three hours of practice time on the range where you're doing realistic things with your weapon. You're manipulating it as it goes empty. You're being forced to shoot at challenging targets. Um, and it's something that you can measure as well. If you do that for a season, you will see by the end of the season how much better of a shooter you are. You will be around very good shooters, people who will help you for free. Um, you'll get a chance to see other people's equipment where you can see what works and what doesn't, what works and is cheap and still affordable and what works and might be a little bit more expensive, but someday you can afford if it becomes a hobby that you want to do. So I found that they're some of the most enjoyable people to be around on a Saturday or a Sunday. You can still go to church, go to a barbecue, do all the other things that you might do in your life. But um, I, I personally, again, as somebody who's like 38 years old uh, and has a bunch of hobbies, I find it hard to make adult friends. I'm not really like a bar guy. I'm actually kind of an introvert by nature. So <laughs> I don't really like those kinds of social scenes. So I'd much rather be someplace where, A, everybody is got running around with guns. So everybody, there's a certain level of respect that I, I just love about being around those sorts of people. And it's a chance to make some good friends. I've made great business relationships there. Um, so yeah, that's what I would encourage somebody like that may be too much for you to think about. Like you may just be thinking about like, well, what the hell kind of gun should I buy? And like, that's okay. Honestly, I would say the same thing, like go to a competition shooting match and just watch, they won't charge you. Just, just hang out for a bit, have some conversations. Um, and I think that will be better for you than me telling you to go to an indoor range and shoot like five different guns. You could go do that for free at a competition. Guys will let you shoot their guns for free. 
and you can actually see like what people buy in the real world versus like what the gun store guy is going to sell you because he thinks you can afford it or because he thinks you know a woman shouldn't is is not capable of operating a magazine fed handgun so you get sold a revolver that is like the absolute worst possible thing you could buy you know get around people who do this as a serious competition oh uh, yeah i see somebody in the comments mentioned steel target that's actually probably the easiest thing to start with because there's no moving you're standing in a fixed point and you're shooting targets for time, but there isn't movement involved. So that's like basic, core, simple, just to get the idea of like shooting quickly and hitting small targets. That's an even easier way to start. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's my advice. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it. Word of the day: overlap. Like the worst thing you can do, right, is just buy a gun and just. Yeah, maybe stack some ammo and just like leave it in your basement and right. never fucking touch yeah. it until you actually need Correct. it. And then at that point, yes. you're fucked. Same with yep. Bitcoin. Don't just yep. buy Bitcoin, leave it on an exchange, never think about yes. it. And then five Correct. years when you need Bitcoin, not know how to use it because you're yep. going to be fucked in that situation. That's that's, a, that's the that's the that, that that's a Bitcoin person who has a, a, a non-custodial Coinbase wallet and just cut. They're always the people that are buying uh, when it's high and selling when it's low. Right? Yeah. And, so, and they don't know how to use it if there's government pressure or any kind of fucking correct. pressure whatsoever. And they're just, they'll, they'll freak out and panic. And that's like the worst case scenario. Um, Justin, this was a fucking pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, well, thank you. Keep keep doing what you're doing. We all appreciate you. Well, I definitely appreciate you, but I think <laughs> a lot of people appreciate you. And uh, there's a lot of mutual respect there. Um so thank you. And a huge shout out to the freaks for joining us again for another live show. Thank you for joining us in the live chat to all you freaks who came in from YouTube or Twitch or our matrix chat. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who supports the show. There'll be another dispatch tomorrow um, with Christian uh, Carol CK from BTC magazine. Uh, we're going to do a debrief on the conference tomorrow at 2 PM Eastern. Um, I don't know what time UTC that is. Uh, you know, it's been a long day. Um, but thank you, Justin, for joining us. And thanks, Freaks. Cheers. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Stay humble and stack gats.